Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Seven Figure Music School. A couple episodes back, we met with Stephanie and she gave us some amazing answers around an oft-debated, oft-misunderstood topic in terms of uh, non-compete agreements, non-solicit agreements. So we decided to record another episode with Stephanie. And I think we have a lot of questions and we love the first episode so much. We might, I don't know, Stephanie, we might put your name and face on the cover and just start having you back um, <laughs> because that first one was so good that, um, that we just had to do another. So uh, today's question, and this one came from Nate, um, and I think we're just going to jump into it. But uh, the question is, at what point does an owner of a school or studio need an attorney rather than a boilerplate legal document? Or in other words, when does it really make sense for a school owner to invest in legal counsel? And how often? Although, Nate, I might actually have you describe for me what you meant by how often. Mm, Yeah, just I think about it in terms of like um, my accountant, I talk to twice a year. Mm. My bookkeeper, I talk to, well, about once a month, but now twice a month on average. And I'm just, I'm, I'm wondering if there's any sort of like seasonal rhythm with, hmm. with my attorney that I should actually commit to. So that's, that's all I really mean by that. Um, okay. And we get the question all the time, like, can I just legal Zoom this to get started? <laughs> so I'd love okay. your interpretation of that. So you should plan for legal expenses and paying an attorney the same way that you plan for anything else. Your marketing budget, your hiring budget your rent, or any other expenses, you should plan for that. Because like it or not, if you're going to be in business for any amount of time, you are going to need an attorney at some point, whether it is to help you set up your business, help you set up a new business, hire that really great teacher that you needed to put a stellar compensation package together for, or in the event that there's a dispute with one of your students or a teacher or your landlord or the music studio across the street. Uh, So to be able to have pre-planned for that or pre-planned funds will help uh, with any sticker shock, so to speak. And if you don't use it at the end of the year, you can just roll it over to the next year or use it for something that you, you need to, as long as you, continue to plan for that year after year. This you said something that I just I I love because financial fluency and sort of the benefits of that Daniel and I talk about often, but you said like budget for your attorney line, right? Mm-hmm. So we have that in the Brooklyn Music Factory budget. You'll be happy to hear. We have like outside services and there's a little subline in my QuickBooks that says attorney. I'm wondering if there's any way for those of us that, you know, 
I look at my historical information on rent and I look for trends and percentages over the different locations we've had. And then I am able to create a forecast. But for those of our listeners that really don't have any version yet of historical data, is there a, either a percentage of your gross income that you think is the average that people spend on um, you know, legal counsel? Or is there just a general dollar figure, like be sure you have at least a couple thousand dollars in there every year. Can you give us any kind of guidance in that way? Yeah, I think uh, having a few thousand dollars, uh, $2,000 to $2,500 budgeted for legal expenses is probably a good place to start. Uh, That doesn't mean that you're only going to spend $2,500 or whatever you've budgeted for, Um, but it should at least cover hopefully uh, enough for you to find an attorney that, that fits your needs and then you can discuss fees with them and then you'll have a better idea um, moving forward for the future, what you might need. Nice. So that obviously fluctuates based on whether you're in like a New York City market like me or maybe an Indianapolis market. Obviously, the, it probably changes, right, based on the geographic location. Yes, there are several factors that go into legal fees because attorneys charge different ways. Some people use flat fees, although that's not very common these days. And most of the time, legal services are provided at hourly rates, which will vary both based on geographic location as well as the number of years that the attorney has been practicing. So it is important that you, uh, in doing your search for an attorney, you find somebody that fits not only your legal needs, but your budget as well. And although a few thousand dollars may not get you very far in a densely populated area or or whatnot, it at least gives you a cushion so that if you needed to meet with somebody or you needed to uh, put a retainer down for some reason or another, you would at least have that handy. Mm. Mm. You know, can I tell you, ask you a follow-up question with a little Brooklyn Music Factory story tagged with it, which is that when I, we were, we've, we've had three, we've had three locations. Just, we just signed a lease on another 12 years at or a 12 year lease at a beautiful new space that's going to open up this fall. Now, when I was going into the negotiation for that lease, I reached out through a referral to an attorney and this guy was very generous with his time. And he, he sort of deflected me. He's like, Nate, actually, I want you to call this other guy. He's going to serve you better in this instance. Um, why do you think we, is that, is that because they're, why is that? Is that, and, and, and is it that he's too busy? Is that he's actually saying, you know what? You're going to get more bang for your buck over here. Or is it that the expertise, uh, his expertise is this? Can you tell us a little bit about why an attorney might suggest somebody else? Well, all of the reasons that you mentioned could be why an attorney would recommend somebody else. Uh, Attorneys typically do focus on certain practice areas. As I mentioned in the last episode, I focus on business transactions and franchise licensing and trademarks. If somebody were to come come to me for commercial real estate, for example, to review and negotiate a lease, I would be happy to speak with them initially, but then I probably would refer them to one of my colleagues at at the firm who does commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, or it could be very well that somebody's workload 
um, is such that they wouldn't be able to get to the matter and uh, enough time for whatever the deadline is, or, you know, they want to make sure that it's addressed uh, timely for the customer's benefit. And there may be somebody else who is able to do that. And this reminds me of something that had happened with another client of mine where she was dealing with the non-compete and non-solicit situation. And there, the attorney she had the most affinity with and had kind of a, a social relationship as well, was a friend of the family, was a wills and trust lawyer. And that person said, I don't know if I'm the person for this job. <laughs> um, and I advised that person too. I was like, I think you need to talk to someone else. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought I'd add that in there. Nate, did, did you have other things that you were going to say and ask? I, I'd love for you to kind of take lead on this. Yeah, I had a follow-up to my follow-up, which was, so then now fast forward in the story, now I've brought on this uh, attorney that was recommended to me and uh, brought him on on a retainer. And, and, and the idea was to complete the negotiation of the lease. And he right out of the gate said, listen, Nate, in order to get the most value from me, you're going to spend most of your time with my uh, legal assistant. Maybe I'm using the wrong term, but she is at a she is she bills at a much lower hourly. She's going to be able to do a lot of the work necessary, and then we're just going to talk as needed so that you can get the most benefit from my expertise. Mm-hmm. Is that a normal type of working relationship? Yes, most most law firms um, that are more than just a few people have attorneys of all levels in terms of years of experience, and if there is a younger attorney that somebody works with who is more than capable of handling the project that can do the work at a lower hourly rate, it's not uncommon for uh, the senior attorney to allow them to do that, to inform the client that that's going to be happening, which will save the client money um, and allows the project to get done in a uh, competent manner. And so, yeah, that's a very... Very common arrangement. Well, I just love that also what you're pointing out here is when we're creating the budget, you're saying budget for your legal um, counsel, you can have that open conversation when you're reaching out to an attorney. Say, hey, listen, I only have $3,000 in the budget. How can we best use this given that I'd like to draft Mm -hmm. contracts and, you know, maybe I'm working on some commercial real estate here, a lease. Like, how do I stretch those dollars? It sounds to me like that's a really smart question. Yeah, definitely. And the attorney can say, yes, I have an associate who can help you with this. And they bill at, you know, X amount of per hour. And to the extent she has questions or he has questions, then I will advise and supervise. But, you know, the work can be divvied up that way. Or alternatively, you know, there's always a chance that the answer is going to be, I would love to help you. I'm really sorry, but uh, there's just nobody here that could, you know, do that for that budget. And that might be a reason that they might refer it out to a colleague that they know, you know, Mm. bills at an hourly rate Um, because the attorneys are in the business of providing services as well. Yeah, totally. And I, I had a, um, a situation where I I'm wondering if this is common, but I expressed, you know, here's where Brooklyn Music Factory is in terms of our budget. And uh, this attorney who ended up getting us to the finish line on the lease said, okay, now we didn't end up coming within budget, but he he discounted 
many of the hours to try to help. So when he showed us his invoice, the invoice showed, say, I don't know what it was, like maybe $7,500 or something. And he's like, but I'm going to discount that down to five so that we can get close to where we agreed originally. Mm -hmm. Is that actually a practice that happens in billing? I mean, it happens... Honestly, it happens in the music school industry. <laughs> like, but is that actually common too to f- have attorneys say, "Hey, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna show this as the billable service, but I'm I'm able to discount here and there." Uh, is that is that a common practice? I don't know. Sure, that people do that within the industry. I don't know if I would say it was common. I mean, it depends on it depends on the attorney and the relationship they have with the clients and right. kind of what's transpired um, throughout the representation, but. Um, the attorneys are well within their right and discretion to do that if they feel like um, they should provide a discount or want to provide a discount um, to continue to foster that business relationship. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. I was going to pivot to another comment you made around common disputes, if that's okay. Because I feel like one of the one of the real values for our listeners is just is sort of your wisdom of like what are the five like most common disputes that a small business owner can expect, or not even mm. common disputes, but what are the most what are like if you were to say if you were to help our listeners say okay here's your checklist. You yeah. should you should for sure get legal counsel in these three areas, like contracts. Um, you know, give us. Can you give us like a, a simple list that we could begin to, you know, aspirationally try to get through over the first year of being in business if if we're a new business owner. Yes. Yeah, so first and foremost, you want to make sure that your business entity is set up correctly. And while it's extremely easy to go online these days and set it up yourself, it is common to not do it correctly if you're not being properly guided by somebody who understands the impacts of the business structure. And so while it may be intimidating to reach out to an attorney, maybe when you're first starting out and think maybe you don't have enough money for it in your budget, it is a lot more cost-effective to spend the money at the outset to get it set up correctly than come to an attorney three or five years later to pay them to undo (laughs) what you did at the beginning, um, because that's going to cost you a lot more money. Um, So that would be the first first thing. Love that one. The The second thing I would say is the contracts, which... Uh, we talked about um, on the last episode that could be contracts with your employees. You're going to want contracts potentially with your students, depending on how you have them sign up and pay and that kind of thing. Uh, you're obviously going to have a lease for your for your space unless you're operating out of your home. 
And so you definitely want to get an attorney involved with those negotiations. And then the third one isn't necessarily when you want to get your attorney involved, but it can help offset uh, potential costs when there are certain types of disputes or incidents. And that would be getting certain types of insurance, such as employment practices and liability insurance, which may have some coverage for instances of sexual harassment or other types of employment practice-related claims. Um, obviously, your general liability insurance will help with um, you know, certain damage claims, that kind of thing. So I would recommend that. And then last but not least, I would highly recommend getting an attorney involved when it comes to your intellectual property, uh, making sure that that is protected, especially in the industry in which you guys work, where content is being created and whether that's, you know, musical arrangements, blog posts, whatever the case may be, or your name or your logo, it's going to be important that you make sure that those items are protected. Mm. Those are so good. I hear set up your business structure correctly. Number one, LLC, S-Corp, et cetera, all the different options. Number two, get some version of a starter contract together for your employees. That would link to our last our, our last episode, right? Is there a non-solicit in there? Is there a non-compete? What are the other key elements? Then I heard you say, hey, an attorney can be really valuable for advising you on the correct insurance to get because you might be actually getting insured in a way that will cover you if you need to go back to that attorney to get some help around a dispute. That's fascinating. I myself have not done that. So that just went on the list. And then finally, number four, you said intellectual property. You're like, you don't even, you may not even know you're creating intellectual property. You created the name of your studio and you made a logo for it. Guess what? You've just actually created some intellectual property. Awesome. I, I, I think we're... I think we're really doing this initial questions um, service here, Daniel, which is like, when do yes. you actually need to go to an attorney was the actual question versus can I go on, can I just Google like contract template for a music school, which by the way, I'm sure something would come up, you know, yeah. um, can I ask a couple of detailed questions around comments you made? And then I think, Maybe we bring this sucker to a close, but you said possibly getting your students to sign a contract. I have never actually heard that before in all my years doing this. I'm curious if you could elaborate a little bit on the why behind that. What what would be an instance, an if-then, that I would actually want a student or a parent to sign a contract with? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So to clarify, it would be their parents if they're minors. It's not little miles. (laughs) They can't legally sign the contract, but um, I love it. That is more in the sense of, you know, signing up for the lessons. Um, you would likely want something in writing that outlines, you know, the fees that they're agreeing to pay mm. X amount for the lessons. Uh, as the studio, you're agreeing to provide X amount of lessons per week. Um, you know, the parent may need to provide some consents and authorizations to share certain, for you to share certain types of information related to the student. For example, if you want to take pictures during your classes and you want to use those pictures within your uh, website or for marketing purposes, 
you're very likely going to need consent of the parents to use the photos of their children. Um, yes. And it would contain other sorts of information related to that. So those are the type of uh, contracts that I'm referring to when I say well, contracts with your customers or your students. And I will even just briefly say, Nate, before I want you to go to your next question, is that last fall, Alyssa, another one of the coaches here at Grow, she and I did an entire episode on how her studio in Boston has a legally enforceable um, uh, policy and defined length of stay for a student in their studio. And she talked at length about how they worked with their mm. attorney that um, to, to basically ensure that um, once a student committed to joining their program, they had to stay in the commitment. Um, almost a, a very fascinating episode. So I'm going to put yeah. that in the show notes or maybe also is just a PS on the email that goes out to all the folks who are listening to this. But Nate, please continue. I know you had a couple uh, of detailed questions there. <clears throat> yeah, I love that, Daniel. That's, that, that links directly to this. Um, you know, to your comment, we, you know, at Brooklyn Music Factory, you learn the hard way, of course, around having an AV release form. Like most of small business owners, they learn through mistakes. Um, and I'm literally looking at our Slack channel for our recent day camp, and there's a teacher channel in there, and it tells all the teachers, AV release, who's <laughs> who you're allowed to take photos of and videos of and who you're not. Mm-hmm. You know, and we post that every day of camp. Here's who who here who has release and who doesn't. Um, so that's a, just a beautiful, very real example for everyone listening. Because we, a lot of listeners probably don't realize that they just need to ask. Yeah. And say like, hey, here's a little form, check the box. And again, it's one of those things where you can download the template or you can actually talk to someone who knows what they're talking about and figure out um, the nuances of that and have something that's drawn up so that there is a good line of communication between you and someone, in this case, attorney, who's personally advising your studio on all the ins and outs of what that means. Because again, this is one of those areas where there's a lot of misinformation and myths that run rampant through our industry um, from folks who've gotten their law degree from the uh, University of Facebook. I think maybe in closure, I just... um I wanted to highlight one of your last comments that you sort of glossed over, but is so valuable, which is you said you'll spend far more money three years from now undoing the mistakes you made in the early stages of Brooklyn Music Factory. I'm going to go on the record here and be totally transparent that I made many mistakes in the early (laughs) years, and it cost me time and money to undo them. And I wanted to draw an analogy here for us because... We, we hear this often where small business owners will start and they will do all their bookkeeping themselves. They'll be like, I'm just going to set up zero or QuickBooks. I got this. Or it's going to be all in a spreadsheet. And, it, and Daniel and I sort of like, like pound on this idea that like one of the most important first hires is actually finding a bookkeeper that you can trust that will just get your, or your dollars and cents organized, especially when you're small. I feel like the same lesson learned here is with our attorney. It's like you have you, maybe a business partner, you're working at your partnership, and like two teachers. Invest now while your team is tiny so that you can have really easy conversations amongst a small number of people and try to get it right at the outset. Because, you know, in our program, correct me if I'm wrong, but once 
once you create a good contract, once you start creating those release forms, once you get that insurance set up, et cetera, like that's a re- repeatable system, no matter as you scale. Am I wrong about that? I mean, I feel like you can really get a lot of things right at, at, at the early stages. Well, that that's exactly right. And that's one reason why you do want to consult uh, a good group of advisors at the beginning, uh, always having a good banker to help with financial issues, a good accountant to help you with the tax aspects and, and anything else um, that they can help you with, and a good attorney to help you with the business setup and getting your initial draft of contracts. Now, those contracts can be, once you've got them in place, it can be a good system for you that you can continue to use over and over. But as you grow, your needs may change and you may go back to that attorney and say, hey, you know, when we started, I needed X, Y, and Z, but here's what I've got going on now. Is there something we need to do to update this? Or, you know, maybe there's been a change in the law related to non-competes or whatever the case may be, and the documents need to be need to be updated. Or you grow your business large enough that maybe you're considering um, growing through franchising or growing through licensing, and you need an attorney to help you with that. And if you want to know the difference between a license and a franchise and what that what that entails, I'm always happy to talk about that too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. And you know, in full transparency, we didn't really put together our non-compete or our non-solicit until the first sort of class of teachers that were the early stages of our business were leaving. We just didn't even know you needed it. We're like, I can't believe that. First of all, when you're just starting, you can't even imagine that anyone who joins you would ever even leave. (laughs) So I love. Oh, were we ever that young? (laughs) (laughs) I completely, I just, I'm fessing up right now. So the, um, Thank you so much. I just, I love how succinct you are in terms of areas to focus on and how valuable it is to maintain, to actually develop a lasting and mutually beneficial relationship with your attorney. I just think that's really my main takeaway from this is you're looking for a relationship that's going to last through every stage of growth. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And you know, there may be a time when you grow big enough that you may need a different type of attorney. Um, but finding somebody who can get you started and who can grow with you, with your business, uh, can be vital and can end up saving you uh, a lot of time and money in the long run. Mm, love it. I think as a, uh, maybe as a wrap up here, if you have questions, if there's something you'd like us to talk with Stephanie about in future episodes, drop that in the comments where you're at or send an email back to us. And um, as we said in the previous episode, we're going to include Stephanie's contact info. If it's time for you to start taking these things a bit seriously or you heard something, you're like, oh, I need to talk to Stephanie about this particular situation. You can find our contact info um, wherever you are watching or listening to this. But thank you again for listening and we'll see you all in the next episode. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, 
Would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.